Romans chapter 6, verses 15 through 23 is where we're going to launch tonight. What then? Are we to sin because we're not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Now I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity uh, and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, now, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification." For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now, we closed our last study by looking at how we're not under the law, but under grace. We saw that the law was made not for the saved, but for the lost. Once the law accomplished its purpose of showing us our sin, we are released from the law as we turn to Christ for our salvation and serve Christ now through obedience to his spirit. That's where we left off, and I'm going to kind of refresh that in your minds, because we're going to be hearing this term and this phrase over and over tonight about how we're not being judged by the old written code or by the law, but God is actually looking now for faith and obedience that's prompted by love and walking with him. He's more interested in us walking with him than he is whether or not we do right or wrong. I'm going to ask you a question that I ask churches all around the country, and you know the answer, but your answer is going to give you a little bit of a bellyache when you give it, all right? What is more important to God? That you grow in your relationship with him and learn how to walk with him or that you do everything right? Of course, it's that you grow in your relationship with him. But weren't we and aren't we always taught in the church to do the right, don't do wrong, do right? God's not interested as much as we've been taught in right and wrong. And you're going to see this manifest itself in a lot of ways tonight. As much as he is obedience to the Spirit. And as we've already seen in Galatians 5.16, if we walk in the Spirit, we won't gratify the desires of the flesh. But our focus shouldn't be what is right and what is wrong. And that's where we get ourselves into a lot of messes, what's right and what's wrong. Our focus should be relying on Jesus and walking in the Spirit. And again, like I've said before, you're going to hear terms in this study that have unfortunately been used in times past and still are today to take things into an unbiblical realm. When I talk about being in the spirit or walking in the spirit, I'm not talking about your eyes are going to roll back in your head and your tongue's going to start doing stuff you don't even know what it's doing. It's actually, you're going to see, it's gonna, you are still going to be in control of what's going on when you're in the spirit, yet it'll be God who will be empowering you to do what it is he's asked you to do in obedience. And you're going to see that we have a choice in this process all the way through. So go with me to Romans 7 real quick and let me remind you of verses 4 through 6. In Romans 7, verse 4, Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. 
For while we were, in our old way of living, before we were saved, while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we may serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Do you see what Paul's saying? God's wanting us to learn how to live in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. And as you're going to see throughout our study tonight, though, without realizing it, the church has taught you can't save yourself. God's going to give that to you as a gift. But now that you're saved, everybody's focus is on right and wrong in the old way of the written code. And we haven't been taught how to live in the new way. And that's hopefully going to what's going to begin. It's just going to begin tonight as we move into chapter 7 and chapter 8 as well. And also as we go on further in Romans. Go to Ezekiel 36 with me and look at verses 26 and 27. If you look at the context of Ezekiel 36, you'll see very clearly that it's a promise to the nation of Israel that will be fulfilled at the end of the tribulation period for all of Israel that survives the tribulation period. But as you hopefully understand, and I've taught to you over and over, the promises for Israel are ours now in Christ Jesus. The things that God's going to do for the nation of Israel at the end of the tribulation period are ours now. All right? So look at Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27. And he says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Look closely. He says, I'm going to give you a new heart, and I'm going to take a new spirit and put it in you. And I'm going to remove your heart of stone, your hard heart, and I'm going to give you a soft heart. And I will put my spirit, my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my, 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 my rules. Listen closely. Does it not sound like God has promised not only to forgive our sin and put his spirit within us, but that he actually would control us to do the right thing? That's what it's saying, isn't it? And so we need to really start to understand that we have been set free from the law and we have been now been born again and we've become married, as you're going to see in a little bit, to Christ. And we're going to serve in the new way now, not in the old way of the written code, but in the new way of the spirit. And in doing so, as we learn how to walk in the spirit, he will take over in such a way that we won't gratify the desires and we will obey him. Yet most of us spend most of our time trying to stop sinning. Anybody else been there? I have. I spent a long chunk of my early years, many, many of my early years as a Christian, still trying to stop sinning and focusing on stop sinning. And Lord, I hope I promise to do better. And I fell into that again. And anybody else been there? Until one day I started to realize that the Bible's showing me that I spent too much time trying to get out of a room I wasn't in. I'm a new creation. The old has come. My focus, so the old is gone, the new has come. My, my focus should not be on stopping sinning. My focus should be on walking with Jesus. And if you walk with Jesus, all that other stuff takes care of itself. And we're going to see more of that. Actually, I just preached the message recently in a couple of churches in the area, and I'm going to be doing it around the country this summer, on Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, where Jesus called his disciples and he said this. He said, follow me. And I'll make you fishers of men. Did you catch that? Is the focus evangelism? 
No, the focus is walking with Jesus. Follow Jesus. He says, if you follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. Evangelism will be a natural outflow of you just walking with me. What we've been taught, though, is to go work for Jesus. Go tell everybody about Jesus. Go knock on every door. Go into all the world. And our focus has been taught to go do when Jesus never said that. He said, follow me. Oh, and as you follow me, I'll make you. I'll use you. It'll be a natural outflow. We have taken the things of the spirit and tried to accomplish them in our own strength, in our own flesh, without realizing it. Most of what we've done in the church, even though in Galatians chapter three, verse three, Paul says, after having begun in the spirit, are you now trying to perfect yourself in the flesh? And without realizing it, much of our Christian life is in that way. And hopefully in time through tonight's study in the next few weeks, we can start moving into that realm where God has already promised he will cause us to obey his commands and his rules. He'll actually take over. But we have to choose to let him do that, but believe it's also possible. I think the Bible says that we are now slaves of what? We're slaves of righteousness. Just as we used to be slaves to sin and had no choice, We've now been set free from sin so that we have become now slaves of righteousness. We should see ourselves as slaves of Jesus, which, by the way, we are. And we are to daily follow his commands and his leadership. Go Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. We know this one pretty well, but I want you to look closely at what Paul says here. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. He said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in my body, in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He said, I died. I've been crucified with Christ. It's not about me anymore. The life I now live is by faith in Christ who now lives in me. The life I live now is Christ living his life through me. That's who we are, and that's how we should be functioning. Again, it's not a question of right versus wrong as much as what is the Spirit leading. How is God leading us in each situation? By the way, he'll never lead you to contradict his word. But we get focused on what we think is right versus wrong. And then, of course, as you're going to see in a little bit, we also teach, we all of a sudden become teachers and tell everybody else how they ought to live their lives, too, and what they, we think they should be doing and what we think is right or wrong in their lives. But we got to understand that you are now slaves of Christ. A lot of times in our Bibles, it'll see the, say the word servant. But actually, the actual Greek word is slave. But a lot of translations just made servant because it doesn't seem so offensive to us. But you're a slave of Christ. He owns you. He what? Well, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, look at verses 12 through 20. Paul says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them a member of a prostitute? Never. 
Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Now flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside his body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have, who you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Have you noticed how all through these passages you're going to see it's God who's doing the work, yet we have a choice and a responsibility to yield to that? It's Christ who lives in you. Glorify God with your body. You've been bought with a price. You're not your own. You're, you should not be in control. But he's not going to force you against your will. Do you understand that? There's this balance. The truth is there. The power is there. But like we looked at last time we were here, even though you're connected to the power company, the power company is not going to come to your house and flip the switch on. You've got to flip the switch on. And we need to have learn how to do that on a regular basis, which we'll start moving into a little bit tonight. Did you also notice how Paul said all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful or beneficial? Since we've been forgiven of all our sins, past, present, and future, you can't break the law and lose your salvation. We're no longer under law. Yet a lot of Christians today are wanting to put everybody back under the law. I'll explain that in a little bit. There will be consequences for not walking in obedience to the Holy Spirit. Broken relationships, lost trust, guilt, a loss of joy and peace, shame. But you'll never lose your salvation. Because God's not going to say, oh, you broke the law, you're out. No, you've been given a gift of salvation. You've been sealed by his spirit. He's, you've received the Holy Spirit, which is a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance. It's not a matter now of doing right and doing wrong and, oh, God might take away my salvation. No, you're already his. You're, but now it's a matter of learning how to walk in the way that's pleasing to him because you're his slave. So go with me to Romans chapter 8 and look at verses 1 through 14. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 14. He says, there is therefore now... No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now stop for a second. When it says there's no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, what do you hear when you hear that? You're not condemned. Okay, you're not condemned. Will he ever be displeased? Can he be grieved? Yes, but he's more concerned about what we're going to, you're going to see what we're going to miss out on and also what we could have experienced than he is about whether or not you did right or did wrong. Hey, Peter, actually Satan asked to sift you all his wheat, but I, I, I allowed him to not just mess with you all, but I'm praying for you right now, Peter. And you're going to go through a time of trial and you're going to blow it. And I'm not mad about the fact that you're going to blow it. Actually, I've already forgiven you for what you're going to do in the next few hours. I'm also going to use it to be a good thing in your life. 
Because I'm not as concerned about you doing right or wrong as much as I am about you really coming to understand who you are, your weakness, the power of who I am, and learning how to walk in my power and not yours. And right now, you think you're something you're not, and you think you can get it done, and I got to teach you who you really are. I'm not as concerned about whether or not you do it right or wrong as much as I'm concerned about you learning how to walk with me. Go ahead. Exactly. But he had to break him a little bit. He was already broken, but he had to realize how broken he was. But it's a healing process. And this, God's the same way with us. As I struggled with sin, and I still wrestle with sin, I'm still tempted just like everybody else. But listen closely. When I was younger in my walk with the Lord, I used to say things like this. God, I can't believe I just did that for the 75th time. Anybody else said those similar things? But what if God, in his full knowledge of where he's going to get me, because remember, God's not in a hurry. Satan, if he can't get you to feel shame and, he, and, and keep you from understanding that God loves you and he's going to work you through this, he's going to then say, well, hurry up and get it there. And then God says, I'm not in a hurry. But what if God, in his knowledge of Jim Johnson's struggle in this one area, knows that I'm going to do it not 75 times, but 100 you know what God thinks when I go, God, I can't believe it. It's 75 times. That's the 75th time. God says only 25 more. Exactly. Exactly. Only 25 more. We're almost there, Jim. We're almost there. When you raised your children and you tried to teach them not to suck their thumb, I promise you they didn't stop the first time you said stop sucking your thumb. It was a process. It was a journey. It might even have taken a year or two. And they might have even got creative and come up with new things to suck on. But you as a parent knew that for their growth and for their best, this needed to stop. And you worked them through it, knowing we're going to get there. We're going to get there. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind of the, uh, on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it doesn't submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God, but you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who doesn't have the spirit of Christ doesn't belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body's dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. Now, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we're debtors, not not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if, you buy the, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Again, it's not an issue of you sinned. No, we're not under condemnation. Actually, we've been set free from that whole law of sin and death. 
It's now a matter of walking with him and learning how to live in that way. And that same power that gave Jesus the ability to rise from the dead and the ability to live in a human body tempted in every way and yet not fall to sin lives within us. And he can give life to our mortal bodies. But we have to learn how to be led of the spirit. See verse 14 again. All who are led of the spirit are the sons of God. Oh, I got good news for you. You may not see it just yet. But you're a slave of righteousness if you're in Christ Jesus. And he who began the good work in you is going to finish it. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Let me show you something kind of cool. You'll get something the group last night didn't get. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Look at verse 23 and 24. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. You may not feel like it. You may not see it as much as you would like. But guess what? He's going to do it. It's going to happen. And it's happening actually more than you realize. The Bible actually talks about the fact that those of us who are born again are being renewed daily and more and more in the image of our creator. You might not feel like you're where you want to be, but that's okay. God's not on your schedule. He's on his. And he's more interested in real growth Real understanding, real maturity, and if you just would just surrender to his plan, you're going to see it. Actually, it's going to happen. And actually, if you look back, you probably have to admit, even though you still struggle with stuff you used to struggle with, it's not like it was. Because he's begun a good work and he's going to finish it. Go to Galatians chapter 5. Go to Galatians chapter 5 and look at verses 13 through 15. In Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 13, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. By the way, there was a problem in the early church, and it exists today in which false teachers had crept in and they were teaching that, okay, you're saved, but you're not fully saved unless you obey the law of Moses and you're circumcised and all these. They added all these man-made things you had to do. They even took things God said and twisted them to turn them into rules and regulations when we're not under rules and regulations. And every rules and regulation that God has for us, he's going to fulfill through his spirit. And then when you start looking at the Christian life over what is right or what is wrong, you're actually going to start looking around at your brothers and your sisters as to whether or not they're doing what you think is right and what you think is wrong. And you're going to start to attack each other. Would anybody not agree that that's happening right now in Christianity? Especially if you look on social media when it comes to vaccines and whether or not Christians should be vaccinated or not. And everybody's all of a sudden becoming teachers of the law and trying to put Christians back under the law. Oh, beware of the next one that's going to come up. Disney. 
You're going to have Christians saying whether or not we should boycott Disney and others saying you shouldn't. And all. You better know what the Spirit of God's telling you, but don't assume that what the Spirit of God's showing you is what he's going to show somebody else. We'll deal with this more next week. We're going to get into it where we wrap up tonight because I'll have to stop where we stopped last night. But in all Romans 14, Paul has to deal with the fact that one considers one day more sacred than another and another considers every day alike. Each should be fully convinced in their own mind. And what you believe, Romans 14, verse 22, about these certain things, keep between yourself and God. And if you go against what you think the Spirit of God's telling you, you're sinning if you go against it. But you're also sinning if you tell your brother that they have to do what God's telling you. Now, we're not under the law of what is right and what is wrong. We're serving him in a new way now, in the Spirit, not the written code. Yet, too many people all of a sudden are out there saying whether or not you should wear a mask or not wear a mask. Whether or not you should vote Republican or Democrat. And if you're a good Christian, you will. Did you hear it? We're trying to put each other not only back under the law, we're also biting and devouring one another. We've been given freedom to follow Christ however he leads us. We've had this problem for years when it comes to alcohol. Whether or not a Christian should drink. What is the Spirit telling you? No, I just want to know what the rules are. We're not under rules. Oh, and by the way, as you walk in the Spirit, he'll never have you go against what he says. But that's another study for another time. Go back to Romans 6 and look at verses 20 through 23. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you're now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you've been set free from sin and death and have become slaves of God, the fruit, that you, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul here says that a true understanding of our new nature will along with it give us a distaste for sin and its consequences. Look again at verse 21. What fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you're now ashamed? When we really start learning how to walk in the Spirit, we actually will start to have a greater and greater distaste for sin. Now, if you're truly born again, when you sin, and by the way, 1 John chapter 1, verses 10 and following says, if you say you don't sin, you're lying, and the truth's not in you. But when you sin now, does it feel good? No. Oh, the temptation might sound good, but when you fall to it, those of us who are in Christ and have the Spirit within us, immediately you don't feel good. I don't think there's a person in here that's a believer and those who are listening online ever would say, boy, I'm glad I did that. No, you actually have a distaste for it. That's why when we get to chapter seven, Paul wrestled. He said, in my inner man, in my inner being, I desire to do the law of God now. But I got this problem. My flesh doesn't want to. We got to learn how to win this battle. More on that later. Go to first Timothy chapter one. First Timothy chapter one. Verses 12 through 17. Listen to what Paul says here. 1 Timothy 1, verses 12 through 17. He says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, 
persecutor and insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost sinner, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, and only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Let me ask you a question. Paul says, I used to be a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent, and ignorant. Is that how he saw himself before he was saved? How did Paul see himself before he was saved? Better than everybody else. Righteous. He even describes in Philippians chapter 3 that now what he considers rubbish, before he was like... But if you found a Jew better than me, I challenge you to show me one. If there was a Jew that could be righteous by his, his own works, show me somebody that worked harder and better than me. I was a born of the tribe of Benjamin. They circumcised on the eighth day, taught by Gamaliel. I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. As to the law, I was doing it to the nth degree. He used to be super proud of all that. Now he sees that was sin. He doesn't have a good taste for it anymore. I always get a little bothered sometimes when I hear Christians talk about, buddy, I used to be the biggest drinker. <laughs> and they're sounding like they're a little proud of it. Oh, no. There's stuff I've done that I ain't going to tell you about because I'm ashamed. I, I, I don't even want to talk about some of the things I thought were cool that I've done. Oh, we'll have a distaste. We'll, have, we'll be ashamed of those things. Not only that, go to 1 Peter chapter 4. Look at verses 1 through 6. 1 Peter 4, look at verses 1 through 6. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live for the rest of time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you don't join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel is preached even to those who are dead. It's not talking that the gospel is offered to people who died. It's people that were alive at one time in the Old Testament is what he's talking about. In the Old Testament, these people, when they're alive, the gospel was preached to them. Has the gospel not always been by faith alone and God's provision for man's sin? It's been that way from the beginning. And then he says that's why the gospel was preached to them who are now dead. That though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. And he's not saying that the gospel is going to be offered to people after they're dead. If some of you were raised Roman Catholic and you can pray people out of purgatory, I'm sorry, you were lied to. Pointed for man wants to die and then the judgment. You, you, and actually, Jesus himself already said in John chapter 3, uh, if you don't believe in Jesus, you're condemned already. Until you receive his forgiveness, you're already under condemnation. You're already judged. The verdict has already been set. And when you die in that condition, that's it. So he wasn't saying the gospel was preached to people that were dead and now they had a chance. No, no, no. When they were alive, they heard the gospel. And they had the opportunity. 
that they might live in the, way, in the spirit the way God does. But he also says people are going to be surprised that you used to hang out with them and you used to do that stuff, but now you don't want to. And you're not going to be able to explain it to them, folks. Jimmy, you used to do that all the time. I know, but I, it's, it's not my thing now. Why, do you think it's wrong? Actually, it's not a matter of right or wrong. It's a matter of letting the Lord tell me what he wants me to do and not want me to do. And because I'm trying to walk with Jesus, I'm not interested in that. See, they want to get you into debate over whether it's right or wrong. And then they can start pulling up scriptures to say, well, it's not that bad. See here, it's, you see what I'm saying? It's not an issue of right and wrong. It's an issue of what's the spirit showing you to do. And again, he'll never tell you to do something that obviously contradicts his word. But what I want to do is go back to Romans 6, 23 and close our study of chapter 6 by pulling out something in Romans 6, 23 that you might have never looked at. Because we've always had Romans 6, 23 shared to us as an evangelism verse, correct? I mean, this is, this is an evangelism verse. And it should be, by the way. It's not a bad verse for evangelism. Listen to Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we've always heard that as a part of the plan of salvation. And I think it's a great, great one. It should, I'm not saying stop using it. But was it written to lost people for have them to get saved, or was it written to Christians? It was written to Christians. It was written to Christians. Look, context. Look again at verses 21 and following. Actually, verse, uh, yeah, start, start in verse 21. He says, but what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you're now ashamed? Writing to believers. For the end of those things is death. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For, tied to it, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let me, let me paraphrase this for you. Paul is saying this. If sin's fruit and the result of sin is death, separation, and God's gift that he's given you in Jesus is eternal life, why would we want to play with sin when we have much more benefit in walking in the Spirit, right? I mean, if the fruit of sin is death and the gift of God is eternal life and you're standing at this crossroads or you get to choose from door number one or door number two, why would you ever choose door number one? But we do. Now I'm going to ask you to not jump to an answer, but I'm going to ask you a question. We, hopefully you understand. This is what Paul's saying here. The fruit of sin is death. And the gift of God is eternal life. If the, the stuff that we used to do we're now ashamed of is, because of sin, and we've been given this opportunity to walk in the Spirit and to enjoy the benefits of the Spirit, why, when we were given the choice, do we choose door number one instead of door number two? Why do we choose sin? Any idea why? Because if you're like me, you kind of do still, don't you? Why? Well, but we were born in sin. We're now a new creation. Like I've shared with you before, if you sin now, you're sinning against your nature. I wanted you to wrestle with it for a reason. Go ahead. Oh, we still got that problem with us, but we have a greater power within us. Why do we tend to want to choose this door versus this? Let me tell you why. 
we don't stop and consider both doors when the opportunity comes. And we tend to react quickly in the old way and not in the new way. That's why Paul keeps using these phrases. Consider yourself dead to sin. Think before you act. That's why we should not be quick to speak, but slow to speak and quick to what? Listen. You want to start learning how to walk in the spirit and not gratify the desires of the flesh? You have to become a person that is continually in communication with the Lord. That's why Jesus told his disciples, pray so that you won't fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. We most often choose the wrong door because we don't ever stop and consider both doors. Most of the time, if you consider both doors, you're going to go, I'm going down to the right door. But when the time comes, we quickly go the old way. Or we'll think, we'll focus on this door and the sin door and say, well, is it that bad? Well, he's going to forgive me anyway. And we're still looking at the wrong door. Let me just say something to you that I want you to hear from the scriptures. I'm not moving into a realm of unbiblicalness. But there's a realm in the scriptures that most Christians don't understand. There are benefits and privileges and rewards in this life for those who walk in the spirit. I'm not saying that you'll never be sick or you'll become a millionaire. But let me say this. Paul says, why would we go down this road, open this door, which leads to death? And it's actually stuff we're ashamed of when we've been given this door now and we're actually in it, that room, and we're just not choosing to live in what we have. And why wouldn't we enjoy the benefits of this? Remember, I've told you before, eternal life doesn't happen when you get to heaven. It's now. You've been passed from death to life. You now are living in this new way. And there's so many benefits. There's reward. God honors those who honor him. Go with me to Psalm 1. Psalm 1 is going to be a picture of, a, of Romans 6, 23. You get a couple of doors to choose from. And you have a choice now because you've been set free from sin. And you have within you the power to say yes to the spirit. Psalm 1, look at verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in door number one, the counsel of the wicked, or stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in door number two, the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. This person is like a tree planted, and by the way, I've shared with you before, the Hebrew is transplanted, taken from where it was, put to where it's going to prosper, transplanted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. Doesn't that sound good? Wouldn't you like to experience that? Well, it's yours. Again, don't turn it into what you want it to be. That means I'm going to get a Winnebago. No, no, no. But I can promise you from experiences, God has been teaching me this. 
And my wife will tell you and our kids will tell you, as we have been practicing moving into grace and not focusing on right versus wrong and did you obey the law, what is he leading us to do? We pray about everything. We talk about decisions. We even say, where do we think God's wanting us to go tonight? What do you think? Chris and I and his wife and my wife and his kids and one of our daughters, we're all going to meet for dinner on Monday night. And where we thought we were going to go, it just kind of fell apart. And then we decided, well, what do you think God's wanting us to do? And we just stood there and kind of just processed it, listening, and the Spirit led us. And we had a great time. It wasn't what we thought was going to happen Monday night, but it turned into a great time. But again, God wants us in everything to consider him and let him lead you and guide you. And when you do, he blesses. Let me show you another. Go to Psalm 34. Look at verses 8 and following. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. Now, the young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Now, hang on for a second. Don't miss this. That doesn't mean there's not going to be times when you have a need, but want is when the need is not met. He's promised he will meet all of your needs according to his riches. The Bible teaches that if you are one of those people that is walking with him, focusing on him, walking, you're not going to be perfect at it. Once in a while, you're going to peek in door number one when you shouldn't. But for the most part, you're going to be walking in the spirit. He promises that you'll never miss out on any good thing. Look at that again. Oh, fear the Lord. Verse nine, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me. I'm going to teach you the fear of the Lord. You want to know how to fear the Lord? What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil, your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Because the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears are toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cries for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their trouble. He's near to the brokenhearted and the crushed in spirit. In other words, he's promised you we don't fear the Lord. Walk in righteousness. How do we walk in righteousness? By focusing on what's right and what's wrong. By the way, if you get this one wrong, we got to start all over. How do we walk in righteousness? By following him. By spending time with him in his word continually. Don't just have a quiet time. That's great that you start a day and you read a verse maybe in the daily bread. That's wonderful. But he's wanting us to move beyond. I read my Bible today. That's actually living under the law. I did the right thing. No, it's not a matter of right or wrong. It's a matter of what's the spirit leading you. And he wants you to learn how to walk with him and pray without ceasing. Be continual conversation. Everything, every thought that comes in, you run it through the filter of the word of God and the spirit of Christ who's within you. We take every thought captive, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, and make it obedient to Christ. And when you learn how to walk in the new way of the spirit and not the old way of the written code, you actually start to experience not only the joy that you have, that he's promised, you also start to see blessings. And like I've shared with you before, the moment we stop trying to take care of ourselves here in Just a Preacher Ministry and cover expenses 
and just began to just trust him and do what he said and give things away, he's bombed us financially to the point we have no lack. We live off of people's donations. And some people would say, Jim, don't tell people that. They'll stop giving. Hey, I'm not looking to you to supply the ministry. God's the one who's going to take care of it. He uses people, but he doesn't have to. He can pull coins out of fish's mouth if you guys decide not to give. He wants us to walk trusting him, and he's promised blessings. Paul's saying in Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life. Why don't you choose this door? Do you see it? So go to Romans chapter 7. Look at verses 1 and following. I'm going to read to you the whole chapter because um, we need to start breaking it down in the full context. So I'm going to read it, but I'm going to read it kind of fast because we only got 15 minutes left. Paul then goes on and he says, Or do you not know, brothers, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she'll be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she's free from that law. And if she marries another man, she's not an adulteress. By the way, before I go any further, let me just say this real quick. We don't have time to get into it. Paul's not teaching on divorce and remarriage here at all. He's using that illustration to show what he's wanting us to see. Don't turn that into a teaching on divorce and remarriage. Jesus teaches on that in great deal. Paul does as well. Matthew 19 and Paul in 1 Corinthians talks about it in chapter 7 and others. Let me just say this to you. It is possible for a woman to be remarried or a man to be remarried if their spouse is still alive according to God in his conditions that he set out. This is not saying if your spouse that you divorced is still alive, you're an adulteress. No, there are times that you are in the eyes of God, depending on how it happens. But there are times, according to God's standards and what he said, that you're not. This is not a teaching on divorce and remarriage. So don't get distracted by that. Satan's going to want you to get distracted by that. He's just using that as an illustration. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members for, to bear fruit for death. But now we're released from the law. Why? Because we died, and that law is no longer over us anymore. We're not, we're not under that law anymore because we died to it. Having died to that which held us captive, so we may serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Now, what then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it hadn't been for the law, I wouldn't have known sin. For I wouldn't have known what it is to covet if the law had not said you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. And I was once alive apart from the law. But when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. But did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that, what, that the law is spiritual, but I'm of the flesh, sold under sin. For I don't understand my own actions. For I don't do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it's good. 
So now it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I do not I want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells within my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Here's his answer. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. We're going to break that all down next week. But just listen, I've read the whole context for this reason. Paul, who has just said, if you got door number one, which leads to death, and you got door number two, which leads to eternal life, why would we ever choose door number one? He then goes on and says, oh, by the way, I still choose door number one, too. I need to learn how to walk in the spirit just as much as you. Now, theologians and Bible teachers have argued over the years as to whether or not Romans 7, 14 and following Paul was talking about his experience before he was saved or after he was saved. And I remember as I was growing in my walk with the Lord and studying the scriptures, I used to flip back and forth. One day I'd think it was one, then the next day I'd read it again and think it was the other. And I've actually settled down on what it is. I believe without question that there are three clues in here that show that Paul's talking about his experience after salvation. One of them is he talks about how he delights in the law of God. Romans 8 already told us that that's impossible for a lost person. Remember how we read that is that the lost person cannot please God. They don't have a desire to do the will of God. They, they can't do it. He says, in my inner man, I delight in the law of God. That shows that he's saved. And twice he says in here, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. That shows a transition has occurred. Do you understand what I'm saying? When he says it's no longer I who do it, but sin lives in me, he's saying something has happened. There's been a transition. So Paul's saying in Romans 7, I still struggle with it too. Don't hear me say what I just said at the end of chapter 6, that I've got it all figured out. I got the same wrestling match. Oh, but thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. And he ends, I serve the law, the spirit of God with my mind, my flesh, I serve the law of sin. We're going to break that all down in that wrestling match next week. Now, since we still struggle against sin, there's a tendency in all of us to try to fix our problem by focusing on being obedient to the law instead of being obedient to Christ. Isn't that what we do? When we struggle with sin, we try to stop sinning. You're focusing on the wrong door. You got to just focus on this door, the door of the new life that you have in Christ. Consider yourself dead to that door and alive to this door. And, oh, by the way, he's ready to take over and to empower you to do the right thing. He's just waiting for you to say, I need you. Lord, I'm tempted right now, and everything in my flesh wants to go through that wrong door. But thank God I've been set free, and I can say no to this when before I couldn't. But now I'm going to say yes to you. I need you. By the way, the greatest prayer prayed by a human that was all human, because I think Jesus prayed some awesome prayers in the Bible, but he was human and God. The best prayer, I think, this is Jim Johnson's opinion, in the Bible that was prayed was the man who said, I believe, help my unbelief. You know what I pray a lot now as I learn to walk in the spirit? Lord, I trust you. Would you help me trust you? <laughs> Anybody else there? 
I trust the Lord. But then he shows me that I don't trust him. Oh, I trust him. But I don't trust him. You understand what I'm saying? Oh, but that's okay. I'm getting gooder at it. Because I'm learning how to walk more in the spirit and less in the flesh. But it's a daily process. Go to Colossians chapter 3. Look at verses 1 through 3. We're going to begin to start moving into how to focus on door number 2. How to walk in the spirit. And you're going to all of a sudden see the Bible's been full of passages that have been teaching us how to walk in the spirit. Galatians 3 verses 1 through 3. Did I say, yeah, I said Colossians, then I turned to Galatians. You're right. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. If then you have been raised with Christ. By the way, have you been raised with Christ? Of course, yes. He already said that in chapter 2, verse 6. We've already been raised with Christ. He says, if you've been raised with Christ, set your mind, sorry, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. We're going to break more of this down later on next week. So we don't need to go any further. But what's he saying? Since you've been raised with Christ, set your minds on things above. Spend the time meditating on his word. Not just reading it, but actually letting him speak to you about it throughout your day. As you do your regular stuff, as you drive. My wife will tell you, as we travel a lot in the Just Preacher Ministries, driving and flying, a lot of times I will be, as I'm driving, meditating on passages of scripture because of his grace. And by the way, I believe that he's promised to bring his scripture to our minds, as he said in John 14, 25. You might not know the addresses like he's blessed me to know, but at the same time, he said in John 14, 25, when the Holy Spirit comes, he'll remind you of everything that he said to you. All you have to do is put it in. He'll bring it to your remembrance. So while I'm driving, I'll be meditating on passages of Scripture, running them over in my mind and kind of praying them through. And finally, I'll get wrestling with something and I'll say to my wife, hey, could you take your iPad out or your Bible because we'll have them nearby? And could you turn over to Galatians chapter, uh, chapter whatever, you know, and, and look at verses four through, I think it is. And how does it actually say it again? And I'll be talking to the Lord as I do my regular stuff. You can do the same. And you know what? When you actually talk to the Lord throughout your day and allow him to speak his word to you and you spend time with him. By the way, prayer can happen with your eyes open in the car driving. I've been praying while I've been preaching. I'm continually listening and talking to him as I'm going. When I feel like he says, hey, go there, or he says, no, save that for next week or whatever. A lot of times you'll hear me say, and I've said it a few times tonight, we'll deal with that later. That's God saying, deal with it later. <laughs> Don't go there now, Jim. When you do this, you're going to look back and go, you know what? I didn't even ever struggle with all that stuff that I used to struggle with all the time because my mind would be on that stuff. Why? Because I've been meditating on his law day and night. And actually, you'll start to see God start to bless in lots of ways. Now, unfortunately, because many Christians don't know or understand these truths, we tend to try to focus, like I said, on the obedience to the law versus being led of God's spirit in our actions. We try to turn everything into a right or wrong for everyone instead of realizing that being led of the spirit may also, listen closely, instead of realizing that being led of the spirit may also forbid you at times from things that are legally approved. Is our government, I'm glad you asked me to say that again, I'll say that. I'll just start back at the beginning, how I, how I worded it here. 
Unfortunately, because many Christians do not know or understand these truths that we're looking at, we tend to try to focus on obedience to the law versus being led of God's spirit in our actions. We try to turn everything into a right or wrong for everyone instead of realizing that being led of the spirit may also forbid you at times from things that are legally approved. Let me give you an example. Is the government approving medical marijuana? Yes. And there may be some of you that need it, and God's Spirit's going to say, go for it. But there may be others that even though it's legal, the Spirit of God says, because of what I'm trying to do in your life and in the lives of the people around you, I want you, for now or forever, to not do it. And you, if the Spirit of God is telling you not to use the medical marijuana, better not judge your brother whom the Spirit of God has said, I actually think it's okay for them because I'm doing something different in their life. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's not a matter of right and wrong. We're not under law. We're, everything's lawful. Not everything's beneficial. And we need how to learn how to walk in the new way of the Spirit, not in the old way of the written code. Now, again, I don't want you sit coming up to me and saying, well, the Spirit of God told me it's okay to cheat on my wife. No, that's a, that's a no-brainer. That's a no-brainer. The Bible says the evidence of the flesh is sexual immorality and all that stuff. Don't try to turn it. Don't use your freedom as an excuse for sin. The Bible's real clear about that. And I didn't even get into it tonight, but the Bible teaches that if you as a believer try to keep going down that road of I'm under grace and I can just do whatever I want, the Bible says he'll take you home early. You won't lose your salvation, but there is a sin unto death. All right? Don't go down that road. Yet at the same time, stop gravitating toward what is right, what is wrong, what's legal according to law or not. As I've shared with you before, the Bible says it's okay to have a drink. It's a sin to be drunk. But in the walk that the Lord has with me and what he's been teaching me and showing me for the roles that he has in my life, he has said, I'm to stay away from it. I've got a pretty public ministry. And there may be those, it would cause a problem and it would lead them to do things they shouldn't do. Well, Jim's doing it. It's okay. When God's told them, it's sin. And so for me, he said not to. By the way, there may be a day when he says, Jim, in this one instance, though, have a drink. That's going to be a tough one for me because I better make sure I'm hearing from him because I've never touched this stuff except NyQuil. <laughs> but it's not a matter of right versus wrong. But what the Spirit's saying, and the Spirit may even tell you not to do things that are legally okay. Like we've already talked about, vaccines, masks. I could go on and on. It's time that Christians stopped biting and devouring one another. You know why we're doing it? Because we're trying to serve God in the old way of the written code versus in the new way of the Spirit. Can't wait to show you the rest, but that's next week. I love you. Thanks for coming. <laughs>